Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. How about you, but uh, oftentimes there's things that we take for granted every single day that we really, if you think about it, we, we couldn't really live without. Um, so, like, say, for example, like, none of us could function each day without a good dark roast of coffee in the morning, in midday, at lunchtime, in the afternoon, and then sometimes if you want to have a guilty pleasure in the evening, but right, right? Okay, nobody? Uh, small addiction in my life. Okay, so there are some things that we can not, if you think about it, really live without. So, running water, medicines and antibiotics to fight sickness and viruses, um, a safe car to help you travel down the interstate, um, a good sturdy roof over our heads, a strong cup of coffee in the morning, yes for me that is a necessity, um, and also having that multiple times throughout the day. But there is one thing that if we're honest, we can't think of a time we had it before this point. It's something that's so essential to our lives, and I want us to encounter that this morning. And, and the thing we're going to encounter is chocolate chip cookies. They are absolutely essential to our lives when you think about it, right? And, and some of the very things that we have in our life actually came to us by accident. Okay, so like the chocolate chip cookie, if you've heard the story of it, we wouldn't have this unless some lady completely goofed up in cooking. So uh, if you go uh, to this lady who lived in Whitman, Massachusetts. Her name was uh, Ruth Wakefield. Wakefield Cookies, you know that name? And she was kind of known in her area. Her and her son ran this inn, and the name of the inn was Toll House Inn. Toll House Cookies, got it? You're starting to understand the history and names of all types of things. And so she was a dietitian, but she was also the cook for the inn, and she would do all sorts of things. And, and, and so one day she wanted to bake some cookies, and the cookies she was going to make um, were not like cookies in the thing, way that we think about it, but essentially she had baking chocolate, and the chocolate's supposed to mix throughout the cookies, but when she went into her pantry to grab the chocolate, there wasn't any baking chocolate. And so she took these chocolate Nestle morsels that she had been given by a man named Nestle, and she began to break them up, and when she mixed them in within the cookie, they didn't disperse within, except they held their place, they held their form, and henceforth, why we have this thing called the chocolate chip cookie. Now, I'm sure many of you know the rest of the story because we have tasted these again and again. So I can't tell you how much of a perfection that this accident was. And instead of us just talking about it, we're going to taste in it. So in Oprah style, you're getting a chocolate chip cookie and you're getting a chocolate chip cookie. Everybody's getting chocolate chip cookies. In fact, our gluten-free people, we have gluten-free chocolate chip cookies this morning. So as we are encountering our conversation this morning, I want you to munch on these chocolate chip cookies, much to your delight. How many things happen in our life because of accidents. How many things that we set out for, these are the gluten-free ones, by the way, um, are the ones that ends up, as they begin to develop in who we are, happen in, in a way that we didn't expect. More 
often than not, great inventions come by discovering they find themselves in completely different places they were expecting. That's how we got some of history's great inventions, things like post-it notes, the pacemaker, penicillin, the slinky, the microwave, fireworks, coke, all these things actually came about by complete accident. And the central figure of our text this morning is going to do just that. He is going to set out to do one thing, and he's going to find himself in a completely different, brilliant place when it's all said and done. So take a look at the book of Acts, chapter 16, verse 4. We can keep passing those cookies around. I should have warmed them up before. It would have been awesome. If you need to get some in the middle, you know, feel free to come up. Now, this is our second week in the book of Acts. As we countered last week, Acts is different than the Gospels. It's different than the letters in the New Testament. Why? It's a theological, historical narrative. That's essentially what it is. It's a story of the early church. It's a story of the first followers of Jesus trying to live out an honest expression of what it means to follow Christ in this world after he resurrected. But things begin to take a turn. We looked at this beautiful passage last week of the church being community together, genuine community, sharing life well together, sharing their resources, sharing everything they had, worshiping together, living life together. But then after chapter 2, things turned a little dark for the church. There's a man named Stephen who's called a servant of the church, and he's actually tried and stoned to death for preaching the message of Jesus in public. And the man who orchestrated this arrest of Stephen, the man who actually held the coats of the people that stoned him, was this man named Saul of Tarsus. And we learned that the Bible has a, a, a different change in narrative within Saul's life. As he is systematically hunting down the early followers of Jesus, it says that the risen Lord encountered him on the road to Damascus and changed his life forever. He chooses to follow Christ. And as you can imagine, the early church leaders had a hard time accepting the fact that this man who has arrested many of their fellow brothers and sisters, this man that helped stone Stephen to death, is actually one of us now. And it really began to challenge and change their perspective when God placed a calling on Saul's life to be a missionary to the Gentile nation. Many of us were probably led astray when we were kids. Saul's name was never changed to Paul. Like all of a sudden they didn't decide, hey, your name is now Paul. Paul is actually the Greek equivalent of the Hebrew name Saul. And it's very specific within the book of Acts of when they begin to address Saul as Paul. And it's when he sets out on this Gentile journey to go into the Greco-Roman world to help convert the people. So Acts chapter 16 verse 4 says this. As they, Paul, Silas, Luke, and Timothy, traveled from town to town, they delivered the, the decisions reached by the apostles and elders in Jerusalem for the people to obey. So the church was strengthened in faith and they grew in number daily. I'm just going to tell you like chocolate chip cookies are still in my mind because when I came across that word decision, I almost said delicious. Like that's how much my mind is on chocolate chip cookies. So here's the thing we need to understand what's happening in the church right now. Paul uh, feels this calling to go reach the Gentile nation and the church wants to affirm him in this. And as, as Paul begins to uh, help bring people to Christ from the Gentile nation, some of the Jewish Christians begin to kind of wave their hands and say, uh, we're missing a few things here. That being that uh, we believe that the men converts, uh, before they can actually truly come to Christ, 
must have certain aspects of their anatomy adjusted, if you will. That's right. Early Jewish leaders were saying, uh, Christian leaders were saying, in order for these Gentile Christians to be fully Christian, they must go through the process of circumcision. So let's just talk about that for just a second. How awkward and legalistic do we have to be as grown people that we would make another grown person go through that in adulthood in order for them to fully come to know Christ? And so Paul is pulled before this thing called the Jerusalem Council, and he's arguing his point, saying that we don't need to do this, and the church affirms what he's doing. But then the strange thing happens in the verses right before the verses we read, as Paul sets out on his new journey after the church decides, hey, we don't have to do the whole circumcision thing anyway. Uh, it, it says that Paul takes Timothy to the side and circumcises Timothy. Like, why is he doing this? Like, Paul, you just won the vote. You just won the election. We don't have to go do this circumcision thing. And I imagine I have dialogue within my head of like how that conversation happened with Paul and Timothy. Like, no, Paul, seriously, we don't have to do that. No, 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 Paul, seriously, put the scissors away. No, Paul, seriously, back down in what you're doing. But let's, let's go ahead and cut back to the text here as we talk about what's happening. Yes, pun intended for the circumcision. What we need to grasp is that the church came together and they voted and they decided what it was that Paul and Barnabas were going to do. And that is they were going to go return back to the churches they had helped establish. They were going to affirm them. They were going to encourage them. They were going to call them to do what God had called them to. And verse 4 says this, so the churches were strengthened in faith and they grew daily in their numbers. So what I want us to understand first from this text is great things happen when the people of God are actually doing the work of God. It's exciting to live out and to feel what God is calling you to do. And there is big and small moments every day in our lives that we have to make decisions. And as followers of Christ, it's important that we make God-centered decisions. Not just decisions that we make on our own, but decisions that we believe that God is at the center of, that God is helping lead us and direct us on. I'm not, I'm not talking about some of the tremendous decisions you might have to make each day, like should I go with pumpkin spice latte or like a cold brew of coffee? First of all, don't go with the pumpkin spice lattes. They've done investigations. It's got like formaldehyde and other things that will ruin your liver like years from now. Don't do it. Or, like, I'm not talking about a decision, like, if you were trying to pick, like, Team Superman versus Team Batman, which some of us had to do earlier this year. And I'll go ahead and tell you, if Ben Affleck is Batman, I'm picking Team Superman every single time. But every day we have to make decisions. And how is God involved in those decisions of our life? How about those career decisions? Or the evaluations of how you are going to spend your money? Does the advancement of the kingdom of God affect the way that you decide where you're living and how you're going to live within that neighborhood? Are you thinking about how God wants to use your friendships, your partnerships, your marriage? Does the way of Jesus have a way in on how you raise your kids, on how you treat your co-workers, on the way that you interact with the world? Do you allow the Spirit of God to empower you when you are choosing how and who you will love, including those people that it's very difficult to love? Does God have a say-so in how you manage your anxiety, your stress, your worries, and your fears? 
What about the timing and things? We are a now culture, but does God have a say-so on when and how things happen in your life? This is one of those moments for Paul, where Paul is trying to make a God-centered decision to set out in what God is calling him to. And this all is going to begin to change in verse 6 when it says this. Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region of Phygia and Galatia, having been kept by the Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. When they came to the border of Mysa, they tried to enter into Bithia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. So they passed by Mysa and went down to Troas. In the great words of the American author Kurt Vonnegut, he once wrote this, Laughter and tears are both responses to frustration and exhaustion. I prefer myself to laugh since there is less cleanup afterwards. I feel like what Paul is facing in this moment is a difficult decision. Here is Paul and his companions. They're trying to do exactly what God called them to. This is the decision that the church leaders, the very people who followed Jesus in this world, they voted, they prayed, they decided this is what God is calling them to. But all of a sudden, it all comes to a halt. It says that the Spirit of God would not allow them to enter into this region. Why was God blocking them? More important question, like, what did that look like? Like, was there some sort of, like, physical roadblock? Was there some sort of natural disaster? Was Gandalf standing there with his staff saying, like, you shall not pass? Like, what did this look like in this moment? Why is this happening? These are all questions that I imagine Paul and his companions are beginning to doubt, and that's a tough place to be in. It's a tough place to be in when you have your plans stopped by God with uncertainty about where and what you are going to do next. I've been there before. Have you been there before? It's a frustrating place. It's a place where it doesn't feel right. But how we get through it is we know that God is doing something. We don't know what, but we know God is doing something. And the Spirit of God prevents us from moving forward. In the last few months, uh, NASA has come out and they've discovered several Earth-like planets uh, within our universe. And the hope is that one day we could go there and inhabit these planets after we, I guess, have ruined our planet. <laughs> and the problem is that these planets are 500 light years away. So the current technology, it says it would take us uh, 18.6 million years to get there. So that kind of blows my mind thinking about how to get there in that amount of time. But rocket scientists, what do we, we think of them as some of the smartest people on the face of the Earth, right? Um, but scientists at NASA don't always make the best decisions. So take, for example, in 1999, NASA lost a $125 million Mars orbital satellite. Do you know what led to this loss of $125 million? It was a joint effort with the Lock Martin Engineering Company. NASA used the metric system to build their specs, but the Lockhead Engineering used the English unit of measurement to do this. And as a result, the pieces didn't fit together. A $125 million satellite was lost into space. That's a very big, expensive whoops, if you think about it. So why is this happening? Why is the Apostle Paul, why is he at this place of frustration? Why is he at this point where things aren't working in the way that he wants them to? And many of us have come to this place in our life where we, we wrestle with this. And, and the questions oftentimes can consume us. What is God trying to do? What is God trying to teach us? Why is that not working in the way that we thought it should go and to be? 
And sometimes we can become consumed with the questions to the point that we lose sight of what's actually happening, maybe what God is trying to teach us by trying to answer questions that are unquestionable. And so what we begin to learn to Paul is, is a chance to look at our failures in life, chances to look at how we might have misunderstood, misread exactly what God is calling us to us. And so there's an alternative option here. Instead of being consumed with the wise, we begin to understand that maybe God is doing something new and we have to have the patience to see through our failures in order to understand it. I heard a story recently about a man who was fired from his job. And in that same year, he decided to run for a, like a local small town office, and he lost the local election. And you would have thought that would have been enough, but he then decided in the next two years that he would try a new business. That business failed. He ran for the same local office, and he lost that election again. And then his childhood sweetheart died. And it quickly led to a nervous breakdown. I mean, I think that would happen in my life as well. And he ran for it a third time. And finally, on the third time, he won the election. But then on the second term of trying to run for the election, his party said, we don't want you to run again. And so again and again, this began to happen in this man's life. And yet in a 10-year period, failure after failure after failure... And for many of us, this is a story that should be familiar to us because it comes from one of the greatest figures in our history. Abraham Lincoln won the 1860 presidential election, and historically speaking, Lincoln is credited as being the greatest president of the United States because he faced so much turmoil and had to lead them in their time. Now, Lincoln is credited with saying a lot of things. In fact, there was one quote I found online that was credited to Lincoln, and it goes like this. The problem with quotes you find on the Internet is that often they're untrue. Uh, so we know that one's not credited to Lincoln. But here are some things that Lincoln has spoke about, about setbacks and failure in life. He says, it often requires more courage to dare to do the right thing than to have fear and do the wrong thing. We complain because rose bushes have thorns, or we could rejoice because thorn bushes have roses. My great concern is not whether or not you have failed, but whether you are content with your failures. You see, as many of us face decisions in our life where we fail, we come to a roadblock, we come to an impasse, just like Paul. It's an opportunity. And I think the opportunity the scripture is teaching us is it's an opportunity to draw us to a place of obedience. A place to be able to listen and hear what it is that God is wanting us to do. And that's what Paul does in verse 9. It says, During the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, Come over to Macedonia and help us. And after Paul had the vision... He got up at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. I sometimes have crazy dreams. Anybody have crazy dreams? Growing up, I had a reoccurring dream multiple, multiple times throughout my life. And the dream went like this. There was a large boulder that was essentially chasing me down a hill. And I didn't wake up until the dream right until that rock was coming down on top of me. But I'll tell you, I stopped having that dream back in 2005 when I was in the country of Sri Lanka and we were excavating some land and we pulled up a big boulder and a big boulder almost fell on me there. <laughs> and I stopped having that dream ever since. So Paul is laying in bed at night and he's having this crazy dream and all of a sudden he has this dream of a man and a place and a person he has never seen or met or been before. And the man is inviting him to come and to do the work of God. 
see, what I want us to see from this text, and what I want us to see as we begin to face roadblocks in our life, it's, it's an opportunity for God to teach us something new. It's an opportunity for God to form us in a very negative and failed, filled time in our lives, begin to form us and to shape us into something better, into something beautiful, into something new. But it will only come if you and I have the patience to sit and to listen and to discern and to look to God for answers. So when these Macedonian moments come, when these roadblocks come in our life, I challenge you not to run it up, not to run up your mind, not to go for all these different answers, but maybe just to pause and to listen and to see and to obey and to be formed by God. Because when we take time to be formed by God, then we can make more faith-centered decisions in our life. You see, Paul faces this moment of frustration. He comes to this roadblock, whatever it looked like. I like to imagine my head. Gandalf is standing there stopping him. That's probably not what happened. And Paul made a decision. He could go back to what he thought was best, back to what his expertise told him, or he could go to God and believe in what God was calling him to do. And we see that that's what Paul did. Paul made a faith-filled decision. And as we read the words of Acts, as we go throughout the story, we begin to see that Paul made the right faith-filled decision. Because Paul will go away from Asia and he will go into the European continent. And there Paul will lead person after Christ, person after Christ. Literally, Paul will bring the gospel to thousands of people and those thousands of people will bring it to hundreds of thousands of people. And Christianity as we know it was never the same because of why? Because of Paul's faith-centered decision to do what God was calling him to do. Now, before we jump into the prosperity gospel and, and thinking that if we just do what God wants us to, that everything's going to be great in life, we also need to understand that this was a hard decision for Paul. Because even setting out on this journey, it says that Paul had a conflict with his companion Barnabas. It's imagine like the Beatles breaking up. That's what happened when Paul and Barnabas broke up and never worked together again. Paul, as we see without the book of Acts, and Paul confesses this without, uh, in, within his books, that he faced hardship after hardship. He says in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, I have worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews 40 lashes minus one. Three times I had been beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I have been in danger from rivers, in dangers of bandits, in dangers of my fellow Jews, in dangers of the Gentiles, in dangers in the city, in dangers in the country, in danger at sea. I'm in danger from false believers. I have labored and toiled more often and without sleep. I know hunger and thirst and I've gone without food. I've been cold and naked besides everything else. I face daily the pressures for the concerns for all the church. These are the hardships that Paul faced by saying yes to what God was calling him to. Jesus promises us that we will face hardship in this life as we live out what he is calling us to. But Christ also promises in the gospel that we should take heart for Christ has overcome the world. Mosaic has faced their fair share of hardships as we've tried to live out this calling together. 
we've never hid away from these things. Um, for those that were there in the early days, remember the, the frustration of thinking we had this great place picked out where we were going to meet for worship for months, and then all of a sudden we're told, you can't meet there anymore. Next Sunday we're here, and we've been here five years plus since. We had the drama of dealing with things, uh, with helping start, and things that happened with the community garden. The challenge of appointing four new worship leaders within our first two and a half years of Mosaic. I spoke last week uh, about the hardship of being genuine community together. And these last 12 months of Mosaic has been the most difficult days I've had as a pastor. Moments where you have people that are telling you they're moving, they're relocating. We have to tell them bye, those friendships you send on their way. We faced the challenge in the last 12 months of people wanting Mosaic to be something that we're not, being this church that's run by all sorts of programs and events, and when we aren't doing the things exactly the way they want us to, they choose to leave. It's difficult when you live in genuine community because you have conflict together. And so about three months ago, um, when we had two families step away, around that same time, uh, Amy and Tyler came to the Hale House and they told us that they were relocating. <laughs> and I remember that moment uh, where it was just like I had been punched in the gut again and again and again and again. And in the past, what I had done is I had internalized all of those punches for Mosaic. I had taken them on myself in frustration that then would come out in my family, with my wife, and with my children. But I knew this time, this series of punches in the guts, I didn't need to take myself. And so I called Derek Parker in the middle of a work day, and I called Alan Pope, and we did like a cool three-way call with the iPhone. And these guys, in the middle of their work, they stopped everything just to listen, for me to speak. And in our conversation, it was Derek who suggested, should the vision team get together and have a conversation about this? And so I contacted all the vision team members, and everybody dropped their schedules, and we had this impromptu meeting, and we came together at my house, and we spent some time uh, crying. We were still dealing with Amy and Tyler, that they're moving. We talked about some of the pain of some of the losses that we have felt this last year. But we also sat in my home and we read this very passage of scripture from Acts chapter 16. And we began to talk about what it was that we believed that God was trying to teach us. What it was that we believed that God was doing within this community of people. And what began to come out of that conversation was something simple. It was something beautiful. It was something faith-filled. And so I'm thankful for, for Derek and for Alan. I'm thankful for Tracy and Danielle and Tucker and Mark and Derek and Alan, all who dropped everything to come to this time together to share in this pain, but also to look to what new God is doing within this community of Mosaic. Because I think God is doing something new. I think in the last 12 months that we have faced some of these Macedonia moments, some of these roadblocks that we face in life together as a community, God is doing something new. The good news is, I don't know exactly what it is. But I can tell you it's something beautiful. And in the last few months, as we face the pinnacle of this hardship together, we've begun to see a new energy, a new life within our community. 
In the last few months, I've seen people make a deeper commitment to everything that we do here. We've completely rebooted community groups, and each of you are willing to shift from your former group into a new group. We are creatures of habit, but what I've seen is that people have engaged that, and they've enjoyed this new community they've found in community groups together. We've begun to see people shift volunteer roles. So many people have said, yes, yes, I will serve in whatever capacity I need to make this community happen. We've, we've recentered our focus onto bettering what matters most for Mosaic. And one particular area that matters most for Mosaic is our children and our students. In the last few months, we've expanded the number of small groups that we offer our children. And we've had people step up to lead new groups for our older kids and our teenagers. People like Mark Bacor and Craig Lee and Alan Pope and Paul Counton and Lawrence Powers and Caitlin Rogers have said yes to helping in this area. In the last three months, we have introduced so many new, beautiful families that have come and been a part of this community. They've seen why we do what we do. They've allowed us to bless and to honor them. In the last three months, Mosaic has crawled out of a nearly $3,500 financial deficit that we faced this year. And now we're almost out of the red by just a few dollars. And for many churches, that's not a big deal because many churches have more money than they know what to do with. And so they just put it in a bank and it uses it. But what it tells me is that you believe in what we're doing here. It matters to you. God is doing something new. And I'm excited to see what that is together. I think Mosaic in the last 12 months has faced this Macedonian moment just like Paul. And it's brought us to a place where we have to begin to look to God to see what God would have us to be and to do. I think one of the things that's come out of our leadership and our conversations this year is that Mosaic probably defines success much different than many churches. You know, every industry has a metric of success, right? Businesses never want to have uh, more spending than they have income. <laughs> For a long time, churches have defined success by the number of rear ends in the seat. And I'm proud to say that's never been the case for Mosaic. The way that we've always defined success has been in three ways. The way we connect deeper to each other, the way we connect deeper to this community of people around us in Clayton, and the way we connect deeper to God. In the last few months, and as we look to the future, this needs to be the place that we go to. How can we connect deeper to build each other up in Christ? How can we connect deeper with this Clayton community serving the needs around us? And how can we as individuals and together connect deeper to God? That's what I think God is trying to teach us in the roadblock we have faced as a church community. And so my question for you is, will you step out in faith, moving from what is comfortable into something profoundly unfamiliar? Will you invest deeper in each other and in serving this community? invest more to to deepen your connection with God? And can we discover together this new thing that God is doing in and through us? Let's pray together. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.